When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 526 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Nick Hilton, and I appreciate the patience of waiting for these five headlines. I had some unplanned stuff going on, and life, as we know, does happen. But hey, I'm here now, and it's still time to talk about Barcelona's one nothing win over Real Sociedad. If you don't want to have to keep refreshing to find this video or podcast, I know I'm the one who's late on this, so not throwing this on you. But if you subscribe and turn on notifications, it'll tell you when it's time for the five headlines, which does happen to be right now. Headline one is undeserved. Here's the good news. This was a must-win game for Barcelona. I said so on the podcast last week, just doing the numbers. It was a must-win game for the Lagrana. They had to get the three points to stay on pace, which at time of recording is four points behind Girona and likely four points behind Real Madrid when the day is done. A loss would have been seven points off the top, and that is obviously a much, much tougher hill to climb. Atletico Madrid's loss to Las Palmas this weekend was some good news for Barcelona as they keep pace with them and their game in hand. But as we know, Real Madrid, no offense to Girona, as I've said on the podcast most recently, Girona by January, February is when you truly say, hey, that team with that kind of depth is going to be able to contend for the title, sure. But Real Madrid is the team because you just dropped three points to them that you do worry about at the end of the day. So as always for Barcelona, the three points and the result is the good news. But here's the bad news. Unlike El Clasico, where I got some criticism for not being too bummed out about the way that Barca played and didn't get a result, I'm pretty bummed out about the way that Barca played, even in this victory today. More so than I think I am against teams like Cadiz or Hadafe or Granada or teams that do play that low block and find that one way through Barcelona. 
But this was a kind of showing for Barca that I'd love to tactically break down or say this was good and that was positive. But Barcelona were dominated on the road in a really uncomfortable way. They were completely undeserving of those three points, and that doesn't really sit well with me. Just like the Jude Bellingham stuff, Barca winning late by suffering a ton isn't sustainable. And by Jude Bellingham stuff, I mean he's insane goal record right now. But as I said, Barca winning late by suffering a lot is not sustainable just like that goal record. And the team as a whole needs to get to that extra level to continue to survive in the Liga. In 12 matches, Barca has won 12 Liga points after the 80th minute against Cadiz, Osasuna, Celta de Vigo, Granada, Athletic Club, and Real Sociedad. The way that was counted is that Cadiz, Osasuna, Athletic Club, and Real Sociedad were set to be draws that turned into wins, and Granada was set to be a loss, and Barca got the draw, and so Vigo was a loss and then a win, and I don't know how often that game happens again. I am old enough to remember, too, when there was a reputation that Granada didn't have the fight and intangibles to overcome deficits, and that's great and all that they now seem to have that grit and extra level late in matches, but this is completely unsustainable now. Last season... I, that same grit got them a league of title, sure, but it does feel a little bit more like it's teetering on the edge of being impossible this season. I'm happy about the points because I can keep two different ideas in my head at the same time, but I'm also pretty concerned about the way this all went down. Headline two is what was that start? Barca were on the back foot from the opening whistle. It was not in a game of two of the, we'll say, better teams in the Liga. I think that's totally fair to say. With Real Sociedad being one of the best sides to watch and view in the Liga, and they probably had dropped points in games that they played better than. This is another example of that. But it was not your turn, my turn, where some of the best teams in the Liga, even like El Clasico last week, where it was Barcelona in the first half and Real Madrid in the second half. No, this was Real Sociedad, right from the opening jump, took it right to the Blagrana. Barcelona started by losing the kickoff within seconds to second how to get it done to make sure Barca didn't go down 1-0 within the first 30 seconds of the save. Then the second minute, Orzabal played through by Koundé to second shuts down the angle, but Orzabal should have scored. Could have scored, should have scored, whatever you want to say. There's a flick on header by Mikel Moreno on the ensuing corner right after that and just a yard away from the back post. Barcelona finally got their first sustained possession of the ball in the 13th and 14th minutes, which I know seems early in the total match. But when you talk about momentum swings for Barcelona to finally just get a grasp of the game in the 13th or 14th minute just tells you how dominant in that opening part of the game and how Real Sociedad took control of that match early on to the point where it was difficult. Possession stats be damned. I don't care too much about how it was actually close because you watch that game and you know that possession stat notwithstanding, the control of that game was really never in Barcelona's favor. It really wasn't. It was. I was watching the NBA the other night and I was watching the Suns against Wembenyama and the Spurs and Spurs did not lead that entire game. And this game, honestly, felt like a very similar thing, just an entirely different sport. We had a one team who, I know, again, the score didn't matter, which it should, you know, it's not like Real Sociedad were up one nothing the whole game, and then all of a sudden Barcelona took the 2-1 lead. No, this was that, when you talk about control and who hit on the front foot, Real Sociedad were the dominant team for that entire match until the 92nd minute. Another Ter Sagan save there in the 16th minute just meant, a terrible start for Barcelona, and a reminder that Ter Stegen does show up in some big matches, but we'll talk about him again in a second. Headline three is tactical questions. It was a 4-2-3-1 formation from Barcelona with Araujo playing at right back and Cancelo in front of him. But don't get married to that idea because they were also pressing, as you saw, on a 4-4-2 with Fermin Lopez going forward and João Felix dropping in. I'm not sure how much I truly love this setup because it didn't really counter what Real Sociedad were doing well. It felt like the three center backs that the midfielders had to drop so deep to receive the ball, that being Gundogan and, and Gabi at times, and they weren't getting through Real Sociedad's pressure at all. 
And it was also weird, poor touches in that first half from Gabi and Fermi Lopez that aren't things that I would expect to happen on the normal touch. So they were giving the ball away in really dangerous spots too. We also see a dad, they were pressing. So a credit to them. It wasn't like Athletic Club where they were high, high pressing, but they were, that being also see dad, playing a high line. So they were playing narrow and they were attempting to turn Barcelona over the way that you expect Barcelona to be pressing as well. Again, does Coutinho always give me questions about Lewandowski? That with Lewandowski, same thing with Luis Suarez in his latter years at Barcelona. But the way Xavi wants to set up this press that he laid out from the minute he arrived at Barcelona with that center forward defending the goalkeeper, then the center back being defended by who is that high right interior usually, again with the center forward coming into the left of the goalkeeper and kind of forcing it down the middle channel and then win that 50-50 ball, which Barcelona did do to their credit, which is interesting that Barcelona did get what they wanted, but it's that Barcelona, when they do retake possession off those big 50-50s, you are putting a lot on Araujo or Koundé, Christensen, Diego Martinez to win those long balls coming from the boot of the goalkeeper. And yes, if you win those balls, you take possession and come right back counterattacking the other way. But that in itself, the pace of that game is not sustainable. So Barcelona don't really win on their press, the ball in the opponent's third that often in a way that we also see dad were just doing in that first half. And because Barcelona didn't really bring their best first touch boots on the day too, we also see dad's high line that started to open up space midway through the first half. Barca weren't able to exploit that, especially because of who was chosen to be the wingers on the day. And that was neither Zhao, that being Felix or Cancelo, could do much to exploit much of that space at all. It was the most pedestrian Cancelo game that I've seen in a Barcelona uniform. And I definitely start Rafinha on the right against Shakhtar on Tuesday if Xavi does keep three of his four center backs in the starting lineup and Araujo stays at right back, which he might do because I think Xavi does feel like Christensen or Nigo Martinez, one of these two guys should be on the field and Koundé and Araujo are locked in at starters, even more so than Cancelo, which does go back to the whole idea that Barcelona needed a right back. They had to bring in somebody that could get forward, that could widen the field and open things up. But for Cancelo, if he's not going to tuck in as a midfielder and you're going to keep him wide on that touch line in, again, with that 4-2-3-1, and then have Fermin Lopez being the one set up in the middle. I just, I don't know how those combinations were truly working. I, I just, I can't think of many times when it was Araujo playing through Cancelo. He tried on a few occasions, but that's not really Cancelo's game. He wants the ball very much like Xao Felix, even Rafinha. I mean, Lamine Mall, you could argue the same way. All of those guys are ones who want the ball two feet, which means you're not really truly using your width to its greatest extent by playing in behind a team that's playing a high line. Instead, you're allowing the opponent's high line to step back together and be prepared for any balls in behind because, again, it's not like those are a secret as to when that diagonal might be coming. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Headline four is Real Sociedad's dominance. This was the best Zubamendi. I'll start here. This was the best Zubamendi game against Barca so far for me. He really made Fermin Lopez struggle in this contest. As I already mentioned, his dribbling as well as Moreno's, their dribbling allowed Real Sociedad, who were playing that high line, to step into the space that was being created by Barcelona when they would attempt to press. He did slow down that big Zubamendi a bit in the second half as the game got a bit more messy with fouls and other fun, including his foul on Rafinha. But I thought overall, Zubamendi, if you want to call us a tryout, I would say that he might move to the top of that queue that, yeah, that's the guy that you understand Barcelona's going for. But I do want to remind you that he did choose to say Real Sociedad. So this summer or potentially even next summer, like this summer is definitely not going to happen, I would assume, based on his contract and his commitment to Real Sociedad, but maybe he was just committing to the Champions League. But yeah, Zubamendi, as good as he was, I would go after him for 60, 70 million. I think actually that would be a reasonable number for just how good he can be. But I just don't think A, Barcelona can't afford that, but maybe B, that does fit their timeline for next summer as opposed to this summer. But then you're talking about Barcelona having to go an entire another year and a half, so almost two full seasons without an actual defensive midfielder. And while they financially can't afford it, I don't know if that's going to work. And again, no respect to Oro Romeu, but you're talking about the level of Zubamendi. He is that higher level. He is one of the better in the game. Mikel Moreno, though, was also sensational per usual this season. Next to him and per last season as well. Same with Takafuso Kubo. As a fan of just the Liga in general, it is nice to see when a team's best players are their best players, that being Moreno, Zubamendi, and Kubo, and Orozabal. They did lead the line. They led this team, and they were the huge reasons why Real Sociedad were just on the front foot. They were playing to the top of their powers, and they're the best players on the team. And it's not like Balde, by the way, defensively, did a poor job on him at all. I think 
you always think that youth wise that it's offensively their game is farther forward than a defensive game but I don't want to take anything away when I say we'll say criticize or I don't have the stats but I do feel like Balde was a better 1v1 attacker last season that could be the exuberance of youth that could be the other team not really knowing who he is and now they're preparing for that and preparing for him but he didn't do that being Balde a bad job on Kubo at all they did put up a goose egg that being Real Sociedad and Kubo didn't really have a true opportunity with that low center of gravity, there are going to be moments in every game where Kubo is going to skate by anybody. He's just so shifty and quick and smart and good with the ball. Again, that low center of gravity, it's hard to kind of keep track of him for 90 minutes. He did have his chances, but I thought Balde defensively was really good. So while offensively, I don't know. That is a, we'll say unsustainable, bigger question that I like to talk about on the podcast and all those tactics, and I've done it before. We'll do it again, but I don't want to take anything away defensively of how good Balde has been this season. On the other side, that being the left wing for Real Sociedad, Bernan Cher did better against Araujo than Vinny Jr. did, you could argue. He didn't truly do anything against Araujo, but he did get his shots off. He did make Ter Stegen think about it, and he did create some danger, more than Vinny Jr. did. Bernan Cher, it's always felt like he is kind of on his up, but remember, he did debut at the age of 17 a few seasons ago, and he is still just in his early 20s, so still a young player coming into his own in the Liga. Now, on this side of Barcelona, there's a lot of frustration in that game, too, where they can say, hey, we could have played better in a lot of different ways. Lewandowski was totally held out of that game, except for the time he came all the way back to the midfield to collect the ball, to just get involved. But offensively, nothing into the box, nothing in the final third. And every time Barcelona did seem to get into the final third, I think about that chance for Gabi in the 19th minute. We should have taken the shot instead of forcing a pass that wasn't there. But Lewandowski kind of had to get out of the box completely to drag defenders with him to open up any space. So he wasn't even available in the box when Barcelona were finally up and in there. And certainly a frustrating day for Lewandowski. And I don't actually even know how much I blame him. As I said, the midfield, Gundogan, not great, did not have a good game. Fermi Lopez, as I said, Zubamendi totally outplayed him, almost marked him out of the contest. And that just meant little to no service for Lewandowski, Zhao Felix, and Cancelo. Again, the same thing. And the center back, especially when you're going to play Araujo, who's supposed to get that long diagonal from the right to the left. If that ball is not coming or you're not getting played through, that being Lewandowski, you're not going to see the ball. So, you know, you've heard me say before, there are times that I do kind of blame Lewandowski in a match and say, hey, he just didn't really have it. And then there are times when I say, hey, he did not have the service that he needed. And I think this is a latter example. Other frustrations for Barcelona, Zabeldia on Jao Felix. Was there enough contact for a penalty? VR must have said no. So they moved on with it. Same play, by the way, Traore on Lewandowski just separated by it not being in the box. I think if that is in the box, I guess they do call that a penalty. Maybe. I don't know. But more frustration for Barcelona. Start of the second half. Double yellow for Jao Felix and Bryce Mendez. 81st minute. So I know I'm skipping ahead here, but this is more frustration for Barcelona. Levine Demal, having come on the field, did not have more than one touch of the ball in a row until the 81st minute from the time that he came on in the 69th. So more than 10 minutes. And then Gavi's frustration got so much to the point where in the 86th minute, didn't get the call he wanted for a throw-in, just a pedestrian throw-in. So he gets the yellow for descent, going to miss the next match in the Liga. Gavi being Gavi, as I've said many, many times, I don't want to take Gavi being Gavi away from him. It's not like he got a red. Took, picked up a yellow. He gets a rest. And now you just fill somebody else in into that midfield. We also see Dad. They had their own shouts too, though, for issues. They could have got the penalty shot when the ball in between Inega Martinez and Kunde went down. VAR says no. I tend to agree with them. But again, it's after the fact. La Real supporters can say, hey, Barcelona, you can complain about your stuff. We can complain about ours. And we also see that I do have more things to complain about out of this game than Barcelona do because headline number five is one for the defense. That back line, as I already mentioned in Ter Stegen, but that back line, Baldi was doing enough on Kubo defensively. Nigo Martinez, you know, he is a proper player. 
And you could tell he's a proper player by the involvement he had in the game and the booze that he got from the Alcalde Dad fans, remembering that he left La Real to go to Athletic Club. Listen, guys at your club that leave that weren't good enough, they don't really get booed when they return. Maybe they get booed because of their price tag or something. If Unzvane Dembele does ever return to Barcelona or Coutinho or whoever it may be does return to Barcelona, will they get the boos? That would be a case of this. But we also think Dad would not be booing a player that they didn't value greatly and didn't really enjoy and love and didn't give their captain's armband to. And Inigo Martinez was good now for the third straight match. He's a proper player. And I saw some arguments, people saying, hey, you got to get him out of this club. Barcelona are an amazing spot to have him be their fourth center back. To have Araujo and Koundé and Christensen and Inigo Martinez, I tweeted out earlier last week, Barcelona has not had this kind of depth on their back line since the 2009-10 season. That season, it was Puyol Marquez, a recently returned young, still 23 PK, Gabriel Militao and Yorda Torre if he was needed at that spot, though he's playing in the midfield. And then the youth players were Mark Barta, Mark Muniesa, and Andre Fantas, all players who did have a, a bit of name cachet as young youth players. So they were seen to have high potential at the time. Again, and they've all wound up being okay professionals, that being Fantas, Muniesa, and, and Barta. But you basically did have four plus one in case of emergency, that being Agatori, and then you had three youth players. And now, 23-24, you have Araujo, Kunde, Christensen, and Igor Martinez, Frankie de Young, if necessary, same thing like Yagatore, and then you have your young players in Kubarsi, Mikel, Faye, and we just got to see Mamadou Fall make his Barca athletic debut, and we don't know if he'll be around for more than this season, but looking at the young players who are ready to step in in case of emergency, you once again, I think for the first time in like eight seasons, feel like, okay, if we have those two players of those eight players back at center back, it could be worse. Even again, giving a youth player a moment. Kubarsi, Mikhail fall all deserving of a moment, whether in the Champions League or rotation or whatever it is. You can give them 10 minutes, give them time, give them a debut, and not feel like it's just being wasted on a, a young or youth player, or even a Barca Athletic 24-year-old who may not be ready for that moment. So this depth for center back is probably the one big takeaway I have really from this game against Real Sociedad. Again, it starts with Inigo Martinez, some of those good vibes. That back line helped Barca handle the string of set pieces in the first half. At times, it was just barely like when Ter Stegen dropped the cross, but that's a lot of pressure that you don't want to invite. But Barcelona held their line, sustained it. Ter Stegen, another save in the 71st minute on a one-time run from Baron Cher, had to make that stop. And Xavi, too, did a good job, I think, kind of injecting that game with substitutes in a way that he didn't do against Real Madrid in El Clasico. And it was different faces, too. Having Pedri back was huge. 57th minute, Fermi Lopez, Lewandowski off for Pedri and Ferran Torres, which does give you a different look. Ferran does help you run the channels a bit better than Lewandowski against a high line. So you can play those balls for him to run onto like they did just as he came on the field. And Pedri's ball retention and Pausa, he looked like maybe not fit, maybe not ready to run around for 90 minutes, but he looked himself. The minute he got on the ball, that Pausa just taking the control of the game a little bit away from Dad, Not completely, but giving Barcelona a moment to take a breath. 69th minute, Cancelo and Jao Felix, who I said were disappointing in the game, offer Rafinha and Laminia Mall. Maybe Xavi did listen to me, and I think he listened to others too this time, because Rafinha came in on the left and Laminia Mall was on the right, which I just think works better for what Barcelona are trying to do with Laminia Mall on the right in front of Ronald Araujo. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So Barcelona's attack did get a bit more bite to him. And finally, in the 91st minute, it looked like they were going to get a chance. Ramiro's big save in the 91st. Pedri, for Gabi, I said Pedri, excellent. Just slowing time down, giving Gabi the opportunity to make that run, that perfect inside run into the box. But Gabi couldn't finish, get it past Ronaldo. But I said, good to see Pedri creating something in his first 20 minutes back on the field and making Barcelona, I think, feel like they had a little bit of belief. So I'm not giving too much credit to Pedri, but Barcelona still had that belief late in the game. And of course, the header comes right at the death. Onside or offside, he was onside after VAR took a look at it. You could see with your own eyes, he was onside. And Gundogan, who had a terrible day. I actually will use the word terrible here, but he delivers the great ball when he has to. And that's, I guess, what great players do. You feel like you can criticize them for a whole 90 minutes, but come the 92nd minute, Gundogan delivers after Pedri had switched play and Balde got it back to Gundogan. So I think this goal was also created, a reminder too, that Barcelona are moving the ball horizontally, which is something that they were not doing against that high line with Jao Felix and Cancelo for almost that entire game. But Pedri comes on, it starts to happen, they move the ball horizontally, and Araujo desperately also getting forward because Barcelona are looking for that winner. He had gotten forward two or three times earlier in the last five minutes. And so coming forward for that final time, staying on side, perfectly timed run, heading it home, doing what a big body like him is supposed to do, and Barcelona get the winner. So yeah, there were some good vibes to end this game. It's exciting. It's a winner. It's all what you want and ask for for more in the three points from Barcelona. But as I said, the bad part is that this is not sustainable. But the other good news is that Barcelona do have Tuesday against Shakhtar Donetsk, who is not as tough as Real Sociedad, who are winning their Champions League group like Barcelona should be doing. So Shakhtar Donetsk, it is still a must-win game to win your group in the Champions League, but they did take care of business last week in Shakhtar Donetsk. So they got to do it again. Don't expect to see many Champions League debuts because most of that group is at the U-17 World Cup. I'll remind you with Spain already, so you will not be seeing a lot of those young players you might expect to see against Shakhtar Donetsk. We'll see them likely against where Antwerp if Barcelona get the three points on Tuesday. So that'll be Tuesday. I'll have another podcast later in the week then, and then you are looking at Alaves next weekend. So that's the plan for this week. I hope you join me for all of it. As always, subscribe or click on notifications on your podcast app of choice to make sure you don't miss anything. And as always, until next time, Forza Barca. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.